Train Hepticulture Podcast. We've been overtaken tonight, Luke, haven't we? We have, we have indeed. <laughs> From the mother country. <laughs> yeah, so with us tonight, we've got Mr. Nipper Reed. Welcome to the show, Nipper, and thanks for pressing the go yeah, button. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I feel very honoured, not only to be on, but also to have the power. I might have just meet you both and just chat for ages. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. I'll sit and listen. <laughs> well, it's entertainment for us as well, mate. Yeah. It's entertainment for us. So what, what's yeah. new? What's uh, what's happening? Let's uh, just kind of cruise into this a little bit. Um, uh, sorry, I should probably start off with saying, um, for those who don't know, Nipper is a UK-based reptile keeper who now focuses on a variety of rattlesnakes and Australian geckos, funnily enough. So that's <laughs> half the reason why we got you on the show. And the other half of the reason is we want to hear about rattlesnakes because that's something yeah. that's not in our wheelhouse at all. Oh, okay. So, Fair yeah, enough. Um, Welcome to the show again, mate. And uh, yeah, why don't you just kick us off with um, giving us a bit of a brief history of what got you started in keeping reptiles? Okie dokie. Um, I mean, it's no different from anybody else. Uh, I can, re- I generally, and I'm very old, not like you, you two youngsters. I am old. And um, I can still remember, I was four years old, and I can still remember the very first herp I saw, which was in the Natural History Museum, although it was live because they used to have live specimens at that time. And that was a fire salamander. Um, Salamandra, salamandra. And you don't get salamanders in Australia, do you? No. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the most common European species, but it's, it, I mean, I'm sure you've seen them in books and stuff like that. They're, yeah. you know, they're, they're stunning yellow and, uh, and black animals. And uh, yeah, after that, I was completely hooked. Um, and I started s- seriously keeping when I was about 15. Uh, my parents were super supportive. Um, which was, I'm really lucky because a lot of parents wouldn't like uh, their kids to have a bedroom full of snakes and lizards and, and stuff like that. But uh, I was I was really fortunate. Uh, so I started keeping seriously about 15. And about the same time, I started getting into field herping. Yeah. Um, now, I'm so old that I'm pre-internet. So <laughs> it wasn't like you youth that have the luxury of just clicking on and meeting a thousand other people that like field herping at the time. It was it was so hard. You didn't even know other people did it for a start. It, you felt like, oh, you am I a weirdo? Is it, I'm just a weird bloke that hangs around in fields looking at snakes, you know. Yeah. Um, but you start going, there, there's like quarterly meetings of reptile societies and stuff like that, and you start to get to know people. And then, of course, the internet come online. Um, and there was a thing called Club 100 started up uh, and the Gila Working Group. And they started, they were the first sort of people in Europe to really start um, – making field herping a hobby, if for want of a better word, publishing articles about field herping and stuff like that. And I just thought, right, that's it. I want to be the first English person to see all the European reptiles and amphibians in situ. Um, And it's taken a long while. I've got to be honest. It's one of those things you think, oh, that won't take long. Uh, And it's, you know, we're talking, you know, over a decade now to try and photograph every single species in situ. And I was, just before COVID broke, I had a couple of species left that I'd have finished. And then some chums of mine um, did the whole European reclassification and added another few species. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) so... uh, now I've got six species left to see. Um, COVID is sort of, I don't know what it's like where you are, but the restrictions for the last two years have been really heavy in the UK regarding um, even local travel and stuff like that. So yeah, that's all these. Yeah. So, you know, I haven't field herped for a very long time, two years. 
Um, I managed to get a trip to Carpathos in just before the, the lockdown started. And that was, I think, February 2020 was my last foreign herp trip. Um, but now I've got four trips booked this year, which is amazing. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll finish the list and I can be the first UK person to have seen everything. Um, there's other people um, in Europe as a whole. I think there's four people that have seen everything. Um, and that's Euron, Spreboek, Bobby Bock, Jan van der Voort, and I think Frank uh, Deschendal, which you probably know from his fabulous photographs. Um, but I think that's it. I think that's everybody. So I'm hoping to be the first Brit this year. We shall see. And once I finish that, um, I'm just battering the States because I need to see all 35 rattlesnakes in situ. And I've never wanted a Herp Australia, but now I cannot wait. I know it's not possible at the minute, but now I need to get out to Australia and start seeing some geckos. That's that's the plan. Well, I think good. there's talks of opening up soon, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. My wife's a travel agent. She was saying that they're pretty much ready to open up to international tourism again. So, oh, that's going to cost me so much money. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. There's honestly, there's so many Australians. But it's, it's, there's nothing. Australia's always been interesting herp wise because yep. it, you know because of the diversity you have and the number of species. Mm. But there's, I've always been mission focused on Europe. And then I'm just obsessed with rattlesnakes. So America's always been a focus as well. But now, geckos, man. You've just got so many species of gecko. <laughs> yeah. I've got to get out there. How many species, uh, reptile species, are there in Europe? Like what sort uh, of number are you you're pretty much up to? You're now? looking, it, it depends on which taxonomy you follow, obviously. Yep. You're looking at about 220, 230 species. Yeah. Um, now the difficulty with that is that doesn't sound like a lot of species to see in the wild. Yeah. But the, but the difficulty is some of these species are on single rock stacks in the middle of the you know ocean and stuff like that. It's not all um, easily accessible. So yeah. And some of them are incredibly rare. Um, some of them, even though they're not rare, it's just you you know it's probably like for used to when you go field herping, you'll you'll have a nemesis. There'll be something that everyone else just trips over and you cannot find. And, uh, yeah, I've got a couple of those that are reasonably common and I just can't find them for love and money. No. But, um, yeah, gecko-wise, we only have, if you count the Canary Islands, some people do, some people don't. If you count the Canary Islands, we have 12 species of gecko. If you don't count the Canary Islands, we have about seven species of gecko. Jeez, it's nothing really. Yeah, it's it's doable. If anybody wants to take it on, it's doable, but it's a lot of money and it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of traveling, you know. Um, But there we are. Um, What a collection to be able to get that. (laughs) Like that, that, that'd be absolutely like you're talking a decade of herping. Like that's a long time to be able to get that sort of number up there and that together it's 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 all the things that come i mean to be fair it's not as you know it's not just the it's not just the herping it's it's the experiences it's the people you're going with it's the places that you're actually seeing i've been to the weirdest places that there is no way i'd ever go to you know i literally had to climb sea stacks um in the med and, and things like that just to to find one little brown lizard that only lives on top of this sea stack his entire 
um, population is on a C stack with the top is probably about as big as two football pitches. Wow. Uh, you know, and you know, to, to do that, you've got to fly to the, you know, you've got to fly to Italy. You've then got to get a hydrofoil to a smaller island. Then you've got to hire a fishing boat to the C stack um, just to see one little brown lizard. That's yeah. Oh, I mean, if you t- if you take into account, I'm um, oh, sorry, I think uh, one of the rarer rock lizards, uh, the uh, Penna de Franca rock lizard, uh, it's Europe's rarest vertebrate. So it's not just rare for a lizard; it's super rare for an organism. Yeah. You know, and um, you're looking at going to a particular mountain range. It's only on one mountain range, one mountain on one mountain range. And the weather conditions are terrible up there. So not only have you got to get there, you've got to be lucky to have the right weather conditions at that particular time. Otherwise, you won't see it. Yeah. There's, you know, there's all, all sorts of, you know. So many variables in play. Yeah. Are, you've you got know, to have lines up. Yeah. I mean, well, I did a trip to see the Pyrenean rock lizards. So, that you know, the Pyrenees form a natural barrier between France and Spain. Lovely mountain chain. In my humble opinion, one of the most beautiful mountain chains, certainly in Europe, because it's green rather than rock. Um, yeah. It's just fa- fabulous habitat. But you've got three rock lizards that live there. And so to do a trip to get the three rock lizards, you've got to have perfect conditions for that if you're there for a week to try and see those. I mean, you might hike for two and a half hours to the particular spot where these lizards are on the mountain and the cloud comes down or it's mm. not quite warm enough that day or it's too hot that day. it's you know there's so many variables that can mess you up on on, on one of those trips yeah oh well, we're hoping that we get good weather when we go up to kakadu in yeah what 19 days now 19 days not long now so oh mate i bet you're choking i am yep. literally i've got my first foreign herping trip coming up in may and i'm literally counting the days down i'm going to bulgaria Okay. Um, and Romania, so we're just going to fly into Romania. There's uh, um, a lizard there that we want to see, the meadow lizard, um, and there's also on the border is my nemesis, which is the blotch snake, um, which is not an uncommon snake. I just never find it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go look for that. Also, um, although we've seen them loads of times, I, I love photographing the Amadites vipers. And they're very common on both sides of the border. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got. Uh, I've got a possible three species that I can see there that are brand new to me, and some subspecies and stuff like that. So I'm super excited about that. That's yeah. Awesome. I'm just Not too much everything's, everything's new oh, for me up in Kakadu. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's it's horrible when you've got a trip planned. You're just choking for it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just like as soon as it's booked, as soon as it's Right, that's it. We're booked this time. We got your tickets or whatever. You're like that. Fuck. You're just looking yeah. through field guides, and you know, I'm yeah. off to Arizona uh, in June with awesome. uh, Eric and a few others, uh, Bob Stone and Justin Julander. Yeah. And um, the rattlesnake list is just phenomenal for the area that we're going. Yeah. Uh, Rob is a phenomenal trip organizer. He really is. I've and, heard that. Uh, yeah. Oh, he, he is good. Um, you know, I, I've organized field trips for three decades, but Rob is very similar in the way that he does stuff to me. I, I really like his attention to detail is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and also his logistics of how he works out when you're going to do what. But the rattlesnake list for that trip 
Wow. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be giddy like a schoolgirl. I can't lie. If we see um, Sidewinders, I will just be all over the place. <laughs> That's that. I'm aiming to get some Sidewinders this year, hopefully, uh, or very soon, hopefully, and um, to see see those in the wild would just be incredible. Um, also, there's my most wanted snake for field herping in the States, which is uh, Crotalus willardi, you know, the ridge-nosed rattlesnake. Yep. Um, so he's got sites for that, and they were really successful on the last trip. They did. Yep. They, they found them on the last trip. Um, there's black tower rattlesnakes. Uh, there's a twin spot, the little tiny, real high altitude uh, pricey eye. I don't know if you know that. It's, uh, that's on the trip. As well as Crotalus uh, Cerberus, the little um, the sidewinders, which would be amazing. So, yeah, I am absolutely, as you would say, sticking for it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, after that, I'm off to Milos, uh, one of the Greek islands that I've never been to. Um, and that's got Blunt Nose Viper, which annoyingly I'd seen before somewhere else, but they've just made the ones on Milos a separate species. So now I have to go and see those, even though it's exactly the same as the ones I've already seen. Yeah. Um, but it's got some, it's got a water frog there. It's got uh, a wall lizard and it's got a green lizard and a grass snake that I need to see. Um, they're sort of subspecies, but I, I, I want to get some decent photographs of those. And then uh, hopefully Zamos after that, to get the remaining rock lizard I need and the remaining snake I need. And that should be it. Happy days. Done. Then, <laughs> then I can start ticking off Australian geckos. Well, it's like yeah. 190 species or something, I think, isn't there? Of Australian geckos, oh. something along that. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely I mean, madness. There's only four stone throw from us, so. Yeah. You know, we don't have too much just here, but there's enough to keep us entertained. More oh, it, 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 is, it is incredible. Um and you asked me about my collection earlier on. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it's really changing. And that is largely um, lockdown was really weird because I couldn't go field herping. And, you know, it's really damaging to your mental health when Definitely. you can't do what you really love. Do you know what I mean? You physically yeah. cannot get out there and do stuff. And I think, oh, this is shit. And then Eric, who is a nightmare... <laughs> started sending me some videos and it was your videos of you doing because I, I love natural vivariums rather than um, drawers and stuff like that yeah. but he started sending me videos of you doing your natural setups and that sort of yeah this is good this is good I like this I like this and then he started sending me some of Frank's stuff from when Frank from Reptilian Diaries was hurt oh, in yeah. Australia I think, oh, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. And then he starts sending me pictures of different Australian geckos. Oh, I'm thinking of getting this, or I'm thinking of getting this. That was it. Bang, hooked. And uh, so I used to have a, a really large collection of snakes. Um, I've had venomous for about 15 years. I think it's about 15, might even be longer now. Um, uh, I had quite a big collection of venomous uh, and some rare boids and stuff like that, but no geckos. Um, but now... I've thinned out a lot of the big boids and I now have two six foot by six foot racks of exoterras, <laughs> um, which are just more well, mainly Australian geckos, to be fair. Um, I love it. I'm super. It's, I, I think because I've been into snakes for so long, it's really nice to have something that's completely new. Yeah. yeah. And really jump into it and almost have that joy that you get when you first started affecting anything you know yeah be it snakes or lizards 
and just reading. There's so much information. It's so easier now than it used to be. There's so much information online that you can, um, and there's so many great photographers around at the minute. I mean, digital photography has completely changed. I mean, I'm so old, I can't actually remember going on a trip and using film. That's how old I am. And it's a different world. Now, I mean, you go out, you, you bang off 400 frames. That's right. And and if you don't use them, you don't use them, it doesn't matter. And you can see instantly whether your light's right or whether your field, depth of field's right or anything like that. In the old days, you wouldn't know that till you got home and you might, you know, develop it and they might all be shit. And yeah, exactly. Oh, I've, got go, I've got to go and find that again. Yeah. You know. But as, as, as it stands at the minute, and I think we had a little conversation, or oh, I messaged you on your, on your last show, um, I'm thinning the collection down because I think, uh, to my mind, I think to, to a lot of people are coming around to that. A small, a smaller collection is much more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I couldn't mean, agree anymore. I've I've had very big collections, um, and now I've got a reasonably small collection, and I honestly, it's so much more enjoyable. It's it, <clears throat> it's not a chore. Uh, everything in there is curated that it's something I really want to keep. It's not like, oh, I like this genus, so I must have everything in this genus. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Um, it, it's just everything I've, I'm keeping is because I want to keep it, not because it's trendy to keep or not because it's financially beneficial to keep. Yeah. And everything, with the exception of uh, one species, is in Vivaria rather than um, draws ranks. The only thing I do, I will keep and continue to keep in racks is the picture office because I've tried keeping them in vivs and they don't seem to do well, but they seem to do, they seem to thrive in racks. Yeah. Um, but everything else um, is in planted vivs. So I'll go through the list if you want of what I'm actually keeping at the moment. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So what have we got? I've got, I had to write it down because I'd forget stuff. Um, we've got Felsumas. Uh, I've got Felsuma Kochi, Felsuma Grandis, and Felsuma Standing Eye. I've got fanfoot geckos. Uh, I've got golden geckos. I've got two species of uh, colonix geckos. Uh, what else we got? Madagascan cat snakes. Madagascan leaf nose snakes. Uh, spotted pythons. Yeah, one of yours. Uh, <laughs> I've got um, uh, rattlesnake wise. I've got strekkeri, barbari. I've got two forms of barbari. Uh, so I've got two separate groups of those, a group of strekkeri. Uh, I've got oscillated lizards, which are amazing. I, I, can you get hold of us? Are you allowed oscillated lizards in Australia? Probably not. No. no it's not native, it's not. Yeah. Okay. Um, they kind of fill the role in Europe that monitors do in Australia. They're, they're fabulous. Oh, cool. Really stunning looking things. I've got Maclots pythons. Uh, I've got Arthurus squamigera, Arthurus cr- clarechis, uh, Arthurus broglii. Uh, I've got Papuan carpet pythons. I've got fog down water pythons. I've got Apodora, which I've just put together, which I'm really nervous about. Uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've got Sanzinia, uh, alligator snappers, mangrove snakes, black-headed cat snakes. Um, and then I've got some vel- different species of velvet geckos. I've got some different species of Strifurus. Uh, what else have we got? I've got uh, morning geckos, Moorish geckos, uh, med geckos, um, uh, cave geckos, underwater oh, saurus. Like oh, mate, 
I've got some stunning. They are incredible looking things. Just are they the I, Chinese I AFK codes? Are they? Those yeah, ones? I've got yeah. I've, I've got the I've got the ones that are uh, the most limited range. I think of all the code geckos. The, oh, it's very hard to say where they come from. Bagwellinensis, I think it's called. Yeah, they come from one little national park in Hanan, and um, yeah, just incredible. They're stunning. Yeah, I love them. They are really cool. And then outdoors, I've got um, green lizards, the bilineata. I've got viviparous lizards, and I've got wall lizards. I think that's it for the minute. <laughs> pretty substantial. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, oh, sorry. No, there's more. There's rainbow boas. Blacktail boas and Jamaican boas. I forgot those. So I've got quite a big group of Jamaican boas, um, which are stunning, really underrated snakes. I think everyone should have Jamaican boas. They're very cool. Um, plans going forward, though, I will be moving on probably the blacktail boas, oh, the scrub, blacktail boas, and things like that um, in favour of more geckos. So, and I've got. Go. Sorry, I was going to say, and I've got, I've got some more rattlesnakes uh, coming this year. Yep. So I will have uh, Crotalis uh, lepidus, uh, Cloubri, and uh, Cerastes. So the little rock rattlesnakes, which I think are amazing. And maybe Aquilus if I can spend the money without getting told off. <laughs> <laughs> So, so whilst that sounds like a hell of a lot of species, well, it is a hell of a lot of species. Yeah. What sort of numbers are you actually working with? Like, have you got just small groups it, of each of these species? Yeah, it, it, it depends. Some things I've only got pairs of. Yeah. Um, but then some things like the Jamaicans, I've got five, four of. Um, yeah. It just depends on availability and space and money. Obviously, with the Apodora, I mean, they're 12 and 13 foot each. So yeah. I've only got a pair of those and they cost silly money. So... Yeah, I'd love a big breeding group of those, but it's the space yeah. and the actual financial outlay. Um, with the, um, the smaller rattlesnakes, I tend to keep them in trios. It seems to work really well there. I'm, touch wood, I've never had a problem with that. So I think that's the way forward with the smaller rattlesnakes is nice sculpted vivs. Um, but yeah, kept in trios, it doesn't seem to be a problem. Uh most of the geckos are in pairs. If I if I particularly like a species, I'll have multiple pairs of them, but kept separately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the pituophis, I don't know why, but I've got so many. I've uh, the northern pines. I've got uh, what have I got? I've got four four of those. So it's a decent breeding stock. If you know, um, oh mount, I forgot um, mountain kings as well. The Noblockeye um, and Pyromelana. Um, they're stunning snakes. It looks like. You know, a child's drawn a snake and coloured it in. It's, it's just yeah. fantastic. So, so uh, yeah. So, well, what's are. the what's the sort of supply like of Australian animals over in the UK? Like, in yeah, particular, they're hard to get girls. Awful. Uh, it's so frustrating because you, uh, you Deb, by far have the most visually interesting animals. I think you know, and I've, I've, I'm lucky enough to have hurt around the world. I've hurt you know Malaysia, Cuba, Borneo, places like that. But when you look at the Australian stuff, oh, my days. I mean, but we just can't get it. Yeah. Um, we can't get it legally. You can, if, if you've got dollars, if you can get anything. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the shows in Europe under the table, um, smuggled into Austria and Czech Republic and stuff like that, there is pretty much everything available. 
But, you know, legally it, it is hard, particularly for Australian geckos, and the prices are obscene. Mm. Um, I'm after some uh, coggery at the moment, which probably would cost you pence to get. Um, for us, uh, a hatchling, a very, very small hatchling, you're probably looking at 250 to 300 euros. Um, this is going to make you laugh. One of my favourite Australian geckos is the chameleon gecko. I would love a big group of those. For a pair, you're looking at three and a half thousand euros. Far out. <laughs> so, and there's, they're, they're not easy to they're not easy to come by. But that is that's what you're looking at three and a half thousand euros a pair now i can see you just adding up what you've got in your room right now <laughs> <laughs> that's insane yeah yeah that's a lot. It, it is a lot of money even um re- relatively small and not overly attractive looking stuff like the lucasium uh, and the diplodactylus yeah you're looking at 500 euros each for most of those minimum yeah jesus some yeah. of those small geckos like that too are so fragile and can drop off so easily if you're not looking mm. after them oh, properly. 100 percent. It's not you know it's a it's a scary investment. If you're going to get a decent breeding group, say you're going to get three three, that's a lot of dollars. And as you say, you only need a, a temp spike or the wrong food yep. or something, and that's you know that's a lot of money down the toilet. Yeah. Mm. So can you import yeah. Australian native animals into? The UK right. from, like, say, at America the, or somewhere like that? or at, at the minute, we are just on the cusp. Pre-Brexit, we could have anything. I could yeah. go to a show and I could wander around a show and I could literally buy anything. And there's a lot of stuff available at the European shows. I mean, the ham show and the Houghton show. I mean, you're talking of uh, the ham show, I think, has 100,000 people through the door. It's a massive <laughs> show. Wow. Uh, and they have a they have a separate venomous room, um, and the species range is phenomenal. And there's a lot of Australian stuff there. It's, it's, it's you know it's a great place to go for your Australian stuff. And I could just bring anything back, no problem at all. Yeah. Post Brexit, now that's just come in. We need now um, an import license to bring anything in from Europe, um, if it's CITES. Yeah, now okay. at the moment. Most of the Australian stuff isn't CITES. Yeah. However, I believe you the Australian stuff is about to be made CITES pretty soon. I believe in November, I think a lot of the Australian stuff is going to go CITES. Yeah, I vaguely remember um, hearing something like that. So that will push the prices up even further because it's it's hard work to get an import license for stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I went out for the last show and spent so much money on Australian geckos is that was probably the last time I could import them without um, an import license. Yeah. But um, for the, for the, for things like uh, Strophurus, um, uh, not all the species, but the majority of the species are available. Quite yeah. a few. You'd be surprised. I think, I mean, you're no better than me, but I think there's probably, what is it, 19 species now? Strophurus, I think. Sounds maybe. about oh, right. Uh, yeah. About that. Something yeah. like that. I'm just saying, didn't they just describe one recently? I yeah, I think I think they did. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, like nineteen or twenty. Yeah, um, but I'd say you can get at least twelve in Europe. Yeah, I mean they're not cheap. Don't get me wrong, but I say you can get at least twelve of those in Europe. Um, the velvet geckos are super expensive, um, but you can you can get um, marmorata, you can get fimbra, you can get 
uh, Coggery, you can get, I'm not sure I say this right, is it Castanellawi or something like that? Castle Nowy, yeah. That's how I say it, yeah. Castle Nowy, yeah. You can get those. I mean, I've got those, but um, um, Manolis. But that's about it. You can't get any of the others um, legally, or you don't see them so often. You have to know people that know people to to get them. But they're all super expensive. Um, Manolis is the cheapest, but, um, yeah, none of them are cheap, for want of a better word. When you're looking at some of the things like, you know, your Boyd's Forest Dragons and things like that, they, all of those Australian, apart from Beardies, any of the Australian sort of agave-style lizards are expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems to be a common trade across everywhere, but it's kind of crazy seeing a lot of our animals in, you know, overseas countries where there's a lot of species that we can't keep. Yeah. But, you know... They're in Germany. They're they're all around the oh, world. Yeah, you know, like what uh, Am- Amnicola. Amnicola. Yeah, we can't keep Amnicola anyway. Really? Australia. Yeah, but there's I think there's more numbers of Amnicola over there than there is Fuluris. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's it, it is it is. Oh, that's the other thing that is going to cost me an absolute fortune. Knobtail geckos. Oh my days. <laughs> they are pretty rare here at the moment too. They're, they're, you can you can I think you can. I think you can get every species in Europe, yeah. But the price tag is obscene on them. Um, yeah. Even the even the, the more common species, um, I say the cheapest knobtail you'll get is probably about four hundred euros. Um, but then if you're looking at something like Amy or something like that, you're looking at thousands each. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 crazy. It's something else I really want to get into. I think they're fabulous, fabulous yeah, things. They are awesome. Um, there's a little gecko that is really common in Australia. Oh, what's its name? What? Uh, I've got it written down because I was going to ask you about it. It's um, bear with me. Millie. No, I've, oh, I've got those as well. I forgot. I've got those as well. I love those. They're amazing. I need husbandy as well, which is um, also available in Europe. Uh, quite commonly. I still don't think we can keep them. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you have to, I mean, you know, hypothetically, hypothetically, you have to remember that lots of Australians and German people go on holiday to Australia with a big suitcase and then go back and as soon as anything is F1 in Europe, there is no legal recourse to it at all, even though it's completely obvious that this has never been legally exported from Australia. As soon as it's F1, it doesn't matter. Wow. Which is... Yeah, Bayonne's gecko, Bino's gecko. Yeah, Bayonne's. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, but I think they're great, tiny little things. Yeah. They're super expensive. Are they the yeah, parthenogenesis ones over there or are they that's actually? It, that's it. Yeah. I think there's both. You can get both. There's both, but, yeah. You know, I, I'm guessing that's kind of the equivalent to our little med gecko that you find on every chalet wall when you go on holiday. Yeah. And yet to buy, buy them in Europe is dollars, man. Yeah. I, I will get some. I think they're quite cool. Nobody really keeps them in captivity here. Not really, no. So they're, they're on not, the license, uh, but, yeah, they're not very uh, common no, in captivity. They're, they're, they're um, for, the, for the Australian-centric keepers in Europe, they're quite popular. Yeah, I think little. probably more people keep them over in Europe than they do in Australia. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, I can't think of a time that I've ever run into anybody and gone, oh, yeah, I've got binos geckos, you know, like. Yeah. I've heard of some people and seen some pictures of people that have kept them, but, yeah, I've never, yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to getting into some nobbies again. Well, into um, 
uh, Wheeler Eye, Nefarious Wheeler Eye. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kept them. Oh. They were probably one of the first ones that I bought back in the day. And um, yeah, I, I don't like most knobtails. You know, you kind of chuck them in a drawer in a rack or something like that, and you don't appreciate them for what they're worth. And I'm, I'm kind of already got a half half set up enclosure behind me here, just waiting on my mate to hatch some out for it. So, yeah, oh, wicked. Looking forward to keeping them a bit more naturalistic. Yeah, as I say, I'm when I get some time. Um, I've got a nice three foot viv that I'm going to sculpt um, for Underwoodysaurus because I just think they're so underrated. They're so yeah. they're all, they're almost like the poor man's knobtail because yeah. the price the prices of those. I mean, you're, you're still looking at 150 to 200 euros for one, but they're yeah. they're a lot cheaper. Um, but I just love watching them. They're just voracious. They're savage little things. They're they brilliant. Are. Um, so I've got a little group of those. I can't wait to do a, a nice, like naturalistic viv for them and really see some behaviour. That'd be cool. They, they are awesome little animals to keep, that's for sure. And you can, you, how many have you got? I've only got one point two. One point two, yeah. Well, no, that's a good round number for a viv that size. Like you're giving yeah. heaps yeah. of space, and yeah, that's yeah. it's always interesting watching them interact with each other. I love watching them hunt. They are like most knobtails. They're just ferocious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome little guys. 100%. Got to see two of them a week ago when we went out for a walk. Oh, really? Yeah, awesome little things. I'll send you some videos after this. Got some attitude. Oh, this de- definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. See, my, the other problem I have is I'm very good friends with Scott Iper, mm. and <laughs> he just bombards me because <laughs> he knows, particularly when I couldn't get out, he was just rinsing me. I'm out, look what I've just found. I'm out, look what I've just found. Yeah. <laughs> and he knows I really like velvet geckos, and I think he sent me a photograph of every single species because I think he's seen them all. I think he has, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, oh, just – and then he goes, on. oh, I've got such and such a species. Like the other thing I'd love to keep but I can't is the leaf-tailed geckos. Mm. Um, that's more of a temperature thing. We can get yep. them, but they are, they are super expensive. Yeah, but we 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 can get them, but with the other stuff that I've got, I don't think I'll be able to keep them cold enough. To be fair, yeah. What but sort I would of love to get temperatures do you get there? Well, it's it's, it's the fact that I've only got one building, so ah, I okay. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a separate building um, in the garden because my missus doesn't like stuff in the house, which is fair enough. Yeah, um, I've got a building in the garden, but. Um, I don't think I can keep it constantly cold enough for them. Yeah. Because um, with with the other species in there, the, the residual heat and all that sort of stuff, even though yeah. you know, they, everybody likes a temp drop, I don't think I can keep them consistently cool enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think my room surprised what gets, they can yeah, take. My room sits really? in summer at about 29, 30 throughout the day. Right. Okay. Um, that's that's warmer than I thought they'd, yeah. they'd take, to be honest. Yeah, and same with the chameleon geckos. But obviously, I keep the chameleon geckos lower as a just in case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- that's a daytime temperature. If it gets hotter than that, I've got an air conditioner that I turn on. Yeah. But yeah, generally, it, it won't get to thirty until late in the afternoon when the westerly sun is beaming straight on the wall. So I get all the all way right. to pretty much late afternoon. I've yeah, got a little temperature and humidity sensor right next to my Yberber up there, and that gets to 29 on a reasonably regular basis during this this warmer weather. Oh, so. that's, that, that is that is hotter than I thought. To be fair, yeah. Yeah. and you you produce uh, them too. You've you've had babies in yeah. that enclosure, hatch out of things. Yep. 
So yeah, ah, you, again, you're looking at around five hundred euros each for those. Jesus, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jason's getting a whole stack of these things very shortly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He sold them That's all to me good. originally just about. I think I collected a few more along the way and then yeah. they're all going back to him. Honestly. Oh, that's brilliant. That's, Swings that's and roundabouts. I, I, I would love to keep, as I say, I would love to keep those and the chameleon geckos, which yeah. is two or, you know, both species or both genus, just incredible. Absolutely yeah. love them. They're, they're my, my bucket list to tick off herping is to see all the leaf tails except for maybe oh, – okay. um, what are they, Exemius, I think is how you pronounce it, because I don't know how I'd possibly get there, and also some chameleon geckos as well. They're my, my where, bucket list. Where where are the Exemius then? I think they're right up past on the very tip of um, Queensland in like oh, okay. uh, from what I've read and when they found them, you got to get like a helicopter in there kind of thing to get in oh, really? past all the boulders and stuff like that. So, oh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I really don't think I know anyone that's seen them except for the people that found them maybe. Oh, really? So, oh, see, that would make me want to go and find them even more. Yeah. But even some of the um, some of the um, uh, Fuluris, um, they're pretty pretty hard to find as well. So they're my bucket list stuff to tick off, so all the leaf tails. That's, and, the, that's you wicked, yeah. It's, you've got to have a list. You must yeah. have a list in mind. Have you got um, – on your, you've got a trip coming up, you said, in a, in a few yeah. – Weeks, yep. have you got leaf tails on that to see, or is it not the right area? Nah, nah, we're going. Nah, uh, what 40, probably 40 plus degrees. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's cool nah, cool, cool, cool. so well, oh, yeah. you're going, you're going arid rather than yeah. jungle. Yeah, we're going oh, Owen Pelly country. Yeah, oh, okay, cool. So, but there's now heaps is, of species of geckos out there, so I'll be happy. Yeah, what's, what's your main targets for uh, gecko wise when you're out there? Uh, northern spiny tails would be awesome. So get yep. those stripes. Oh, okay. um, and I want to get some um, cave geckos. Oh, mate. Yeah. That is one thing I've never seen for sale in Europe. I mean, they're probably there. But um, is it, what is it? Is it pseudo Pseudotichodactylus, I think it is. Pseudotichodactylus like yeah. or something like that, I think. Yeah. They look incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it Angry is there buggers. species? There's yeah. There's three. There's is there? Linderi. Synctus, uh, I think, and the tree gecko, giant tree gecko, which I can't remember the, which, the scientific name of that one. I'll butcher scientific oh. names. Scott's probably listening, just <laughs> laughing at us. He'll be swearing. Yeah. He'll be so, swearing. He won't be laughing. Australis. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Oh, no, that is that. Should I be fortunate enough to go herping in Australia, that would be one of the top. That and chameleon geckos would be yeah. uh, incredible. I think the Australis are kind of near the area where the chameleon geckos are, from memory. The giant they're, tree geckos in up near bit, Cairns, I think, a little bit further north of Cairns, I think. Uh, yeah, I think they're a bit further up again. I think yeah. they're quite close to the tip, kind of in that savannah yeah. country on the other side of Iron Range and stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd love to get some cave geckos while we're out there and some spiny <laughs> tails. They're probably, but anything, and, I'd just be happy with anything, you know. Oh, yeah. We had some uh, GPS coordinates given to us for Nefrashia as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we get That's to take that one off because I've already seen Amia in the wild. So have you? Yeah. 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 One. That, what is the total species list for Australia? It's four hundred and something, isn't it? Reptiles and amphibians. 
Oh, no, it'd be well over Nah, it's like, is it like 900 or something? Is yeah, it? Something yeah, it's like 960 or something along those lines. Well, you um, guys need to cr- you need to crack on then. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've been trying a little bit. Jason has uh, only just been <laughs> joining this party a little bit late, so. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a few species, but... um. Yeah, no. Do you keep do you keep lists? Have you got a life list for Australia? Yeah, I've started. Yeah, yeah. I've I've basically got one of my because obviously I collect books as well. I've got a book and I'm just going to go through and just put a mark next to each one I've seen. Oh, that's grand. So yeah, you need to get a hold of this book. Yeah, I would love to get a hold of that book. It's ridiculously expensive over here. Like ridiculously expensive. Really? You're looking really? Oh, yeah. You're looking. Is that is that Cogger that you was holding? No, no, no. That's, oh, that's um, Steve, Steve, Steve Wilson, Wilson and Jerry Swan. Jerry Swan. Oh, okay, sorry, I thought it was the Cogger Guide. Um, yeah, I I might have that with a different cover then. I'll have a look. Yeah, there's a few. Most recent edition, this is the sixth one. Okay, ping me the details of that because I'm the same as you. I have a huge collection of Hurt books. It's it's becoming a problem, to be honest. <laughs> have you got your hand on that one? Because you'll want that one. No, you, you're joking. You'd have to... Give you a right testicle for that. It's just you can't get it. You just can't. You're talking hundreds. Of, <laughs> you're talking hundreds and hundreds of pounds for that in the UK. Wow. Hundreds of yeah. pounds. Yeah. I think over here it's about three hundred, about three fifty Australian, four hundred. Yeah, because I know they for about a thousand dollars not too long ago. Yeah, I think yeah, someone it, just baits it out there to see who bites. I think on on that one. But, somebody may have. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. So for for the listeners at home, that was a guide to Australian geckos and pygopods in captivity yeah. by Danny Brown. But yeah, no, it's um, a lot of those books are well sought after now. Yeah. I just got, um, or oh, I recently got the guide to keeping Australian lizards, which was very, very good. Oh, good book. Um, yeah, it's quite, quite, quite a good book. It's got a lot of inf- good information about keeping the geckos and stuff. Yeah, which is cool. But uh, yeah, no, the coggers over here are so expensive. It's just, I don't know how much they are to buy new in Australia, but over here, you're talking hundreds of pounds. Yeah, when they're new, they're there's something you know, like 150 bucks, I think, from memory. Yeah. Um, but the second hand, there's a few that are. They've actually come down in price. A lot of the second hand ones recently. Um, oh, that's that's my next lot of books to collect. Is all the coggers. I've got a few of them, but there's a few that I'm, I'm short. I've put some feelers out for some. But um, yeah, I'm on to book. I'm on to bookcase number three at the moment. I'm about books. to go to bookcase too. Actually, I've got a message, man, Somerville, <laughs> about that book. Yeah, I, I, that book. I know the book yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's a book. So, but um, yeah, that's another addicting hobby. Oh, it is. It's, it's terrible. It's is they go hand in hand, unfortunately, yep. and, and both both are expensive. It's, yeah. Um, I tell you what. Talking of expense, I tell you what. I have noticed when now I've sort of switched over. Well, not switched over, but now I'm keeping more lizards rather than snakes. Is how much it costs to feed them? Yeah. Oh my days! Yeah. The snakes are all on you know quail and chickens and things like that, which is reasonably cheap. The lizards are extortionate to feed all the live foods. Yeah. Are you breeding your own roaches or anything like that, or no? No, 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 no. Um, I, I don't feed roaches because I think they're disgusting. Yeah. Um, and I have this massive fear. I've, you know, my building is insulated 
it's just a perfect environment for cockroaches to breed. Yeah. And if my missus found out that there was cockroaches breeding, she would just burn the place down yeah, my with everything in the it. Same. You know, so nah. Um so I have to buy stuff. Um what I tend to do is I buy and then I'll keep it for a week or two weeks and I'll feed it myself. Yeah. Before I feed it. Um and I will wild collect insects as well, um, in areas that I know are pesticide free and and, uh, and safe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am probably like yourselves. I am super geeky about feeding stuff. Yeah. So everything I buy will then have a diet of flowers or plants that I've collected from my garden or somewhere that I know is safe and they'll be fed on those for a while. They'll also get beta carotene supplement. They'll also get bee pollen. And when I actually feed, they'll be dusted in a mixture of um, vitamins and calcium. beta carotene as well. And cal- yeah, so I use I either use a Rapashi Calcium Plus yeah. or I use Arcadia Pro Vits and I, I mix that with beta carotene powder. Um, so it seems to do the trick. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just – and also the regularity of feeding, whereas before with the snakes, if I'm busy at work, I think, oh, I'll feed those in a, I'll do it another day or whatever with with the yeah exactly another week if necessary uh uh, with the lizards it's like oh my god they haven't fed for two days I've got to feed them yeah yeah we've got a bit of a cricket short cricket shortage at the moment too so screw really yeah you can't buy crickets anywhere so I haven't fed my guys for like four days so I'm just around trying to find some crickets yeah so I think yeah, I'm going to have to go down the roach path. Me and Luke were talking about that today. So. Oh, no, man. Yeah. But basically, word on the grapevine is is that one of the big – there's basically like two big suppliers in Australia that do like bulk amounts of crickets to pet shops and things like that. One of the teams got COVID and quite often they'll buy stock of each other to supply and that then impacted the other guys and then all the kind of like little third-party – uh, suppliers and stuff that you know usually do bulk crickets and stuff themselves they all got flogged because the other guys were, yeah, right. the, big, the big guys were down now we can't yeah. get them so you know i'm sitting yeah. in a i work at a pet shop where i've got you know 100 odd bearded dragons at any given time that i can't even get crickets for or not enough crickets sure. to actually keep them going so we're trying to find other things you know we're trying to smash salads into them we're trying to do all sorts of stuff like that like even at home my monitors haven't eaten crickets in probably i'm going to say getting close to two weeks now. I'm just resorting to little bits of meat and eggs just to kind of keep right. them going but try not to yeah. feed them too much that they get fat and then all yeah. the all the geckos are getting whatever crickets I can get. So, Okay. Yeah. yeah, so I'm running around all the stores if they've got crickets and buying those little plastic tubs and just taking like bunches of them at a time. So. <laughs> oh, mate. And then coming that's home so... and filling up my big tubs. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like, can you, st- you can still get mealworms and super Mario's and, and stuff like that or... No. Even they're hit and miss because yeah. everybody can't get really? the crickets then they're going to the mealworms or the cockroaches or the black soldier fly larvae or whatever yeah. it might be. So the roll-on effect oh. is massive. So that's why I'm thinking about just getting a colony of woodies going and just basically leaving them in the in the, ga- in the garden shed. There's yeah. a perfect spot in there for them. So. Yeah, to, look, to, to give you a bit of an idea, I'm not sure if you'll be able to see this on screen, but I've got like big plastic tubs up here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Any given time, like I probably have in the realm of about 5,000 bugs in those to kind of – Oh, that, wow. That's probably about – maybe not so much bad now, but that'll be like about a fortnight or so worth of food for me. 
And at the moment, I reckon I've probably got a hundred bugs in there if I'm lucky. <laughs> uh, it's not see that's something else you don't even think about with snakes. If you can't feed them for three or four weeks, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, even know, even months, even a couple of months, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I mean, I've got I mean, particularly like the Jamaican boas and things like that. They will go off their food for months. Yeah. It's, well, it's remember just, Matt Somerville was talking about he had a was it a brown snake that ate mm. like once a year or something? Was it Ingrams or something like that? I think it was. Yeah, and it died, and he cut it open, and it was morbidly obese. Yeah, had, <laughs> and it had like four feet in a year or something. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah, my my gecko. I mean, particularly like the, the Strophurus, they seem to want to. I'm careful not to get them fat, but they would eat every second if they could. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. The other thing is, what, with your geckos, do you use um, UV? Are you using UV, or are you not bothering? You are. I didn't. Mine, yeah. Well, you go first. So I, I didn't in previous years. I used to just feed a lot of calcium with vitamin D3 as kind of a supplement to try to get away without it. And I did the same for frogs and all sorts, monitors, everything pretty much, and didn't see any ill effect from it. Um, but now I'm pretty much switching over so everything's got UV. So pretty much all my geckos bar some hatchlings have UV. Um, so that's including my leaf tails and everything. Um, yeah, I kind of just went nuts with it and spent the money. And they don't get long hours of it. They only get, I think, two or three hours a day that they get exposure to it. So then it's not, A, chewing up the life on your bulbs, but it's also not producing so much that it might be detrimental to them as well. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was a good idea just to – it's in the wild. Give them the option. They've got places to hide if they don't want it. 100%. I pretty much yeah, I, did I'm, the same now. You, you did the same, yeah. I, 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 because I just I'm new to this, and I just set up all the exoterras um, on these racks. I put UV on everything. I mean, yeah. I've noticed I've gone over fairly well recently to all my snake vivs, particularly the rattlesnakes and things like that. They all have UVA and UVB. They all have full spectrum lighting. And they have deep heat projectors as well. And I've really noticed a difference in behaviour. You know, and I'm as guilty as anybody else. I've kept snakes in racks before with no UV, uh, but just the difference, you know. I couldn't now keep a snake without UV, full spectrum and deep. Having seen the difference in behaviour and just the sort of well-being of the snakes, I think it's, you know, Incredible, yeah. And, and, for, and for the gecko, I mean, I presume both of you have seen uh, Strophurus in the wild. Is that right? I haven't imagine? seen Strophurus. Oh, I haven't yet. No. You haven't? No. You're not, even, you're not even Australian, are you? Really? Like, <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time looking for him in Alice Springs and Yulara and stuff, and everyone was swearing blind and blue that they were everywhere out there, and I didn't get lucky and see one. Yeah, it's always the way when someone says, "Oh, this is the spot," you'll you'll trip over him. Yeah. You never see him. You never see him. I mean, but even Eric's seen Strafurus in the wild. Or something <laughs> we are. Well, you saw a bloody Alan Pellipathan too. He, he yeah. did. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, I was up he's, there two weeks before him as well, and I got nothing. I saw a few water really? and that was pretty much it. Apart from the Crocs, but the Crocs is kind of standard. Yeah. Oh. I was, my question was, I mean, because presumably, the way, unlike most geckos, Strafurus stay out all day don't they they yeah. you know they're, they're, they're all right they, they go underneath a, tw- a twig or whatever but they are out in the sun all day yeah. surely they it's not like they go under a piece of bark or a stone or whatever they're out so they must require 
well, they must have adapted to quite quite a lot of UV naturally. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if, if you're keeping them without, it, it's got to be detrimental. I've kept them and bred them without UV, but right, I've I because if you read a lot of the the books and stuff on keeping Strafurus, that all says they need UV. But right. I've kept them bred them without it, and the hatchies were fine. Went on to breed, right. but then I eventually just switched it over to UV anyway. So okay, and um, the same the, the velvets seem to come out and bask in the yeah. daytime quite a lot. It's, yeah, I don't know. Is, is, have you seen that in the wild? Is that something they do in the wild, or is that just a, a captivity thing? The only velvet gecko that we get near us is the Lejeune's velvet gecko, which I've only ever seen at night time. Um, uh, okay, the I haven't actually seen any of the other species of velvets in the wild either. But in saying that, my Fimbria here and my Castelnaui that I did just get rid of, they would quite often actually sit up, not not under the UV so it's close to the globe, but like on a rock for a short period of time and they would actually soak that in, yeah. I reckon. And whether yeah. that was like an ambient warmth, warmth thing or the actual use of UV, I couldn't be 100% sure. But, you know, those T5 bulbs do put out a bit of warmth. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was just the warmth, but in the same time, like they seem to use it. I got leaf tails that were <laughs> the white bird, but like in the hottest part of the room, they'll they'll get on the mesh and almost like hug the T five bulb, but almost like they <laughs> like the warmth. And you're going, you're a leaf tail gecko. No, no you shouldn't yeah. be getting heated or anything. Yeah. But they do I'd it. say the only ones that I'd say I wouldn't bother with that I don't still now is the chameleon geckos. So they basically right. one they're in the forest, so it's very scattered dappled light that reaches the floor but my guys never come out of the hide during the day right so they're in basically dark hide all day as soon as the lights go out they come out oh man i'm so jealous I, i'm choking what a great species to keep it's just yeah. absolutely superb that was probably the way one yeah. of my biggest regrets was moving them on when i did but i got some back now so that's cool how many that's you got now three Three, yeah. three, one, yeah, one. So I've got to check the sex on that young one. It's it, every time I thought it was a male, I thought it was a female, and then I thought it was a male, and I looked at that, and I'm like, these things might actually be a female. So, oh, that's wicked. Yeah. So, are they are they easily available in the in Australia? No, no, no. They're, no. they're still pretty hard to find. There's, I don't know, oh, okay. a few people working with. Them. I think there's some people that have them that don't really, you know say that they've got them but i only know of a few people that have that have got them and produce them there used to be a more a few years ago um but i possibly think that they might have just got out of keeping them or moved them on or they might have got older animals and stuff like that but yeah are they, I are they on an advanced license people. yeah in new yeah, south right. wales yeah yeah i don't think you can keep them in victoria unless you're on a special class of license i believe um, South Australia, they're on, I think, a specialist permit. Yeah. And I th- I'm not sure what they're on in Queensland. So you can only really keep them in three states. I've done about Canberra. I'm not too sure what their licensing is down there. But um, And it's too bloody hot in the Northern Territory to keep them. So on the Chateau. I, I, I said, we, we had a, a conversation off air, but I think it's so good that you have to have a license to keep stuff in Australia. Yeah. It's definitely... Definitely, definitely the way forward, and I, I, I wish Europe was the same. Yeah, I think that's superb. I mean, yeah, there could be tweaks and better, better things to the license and a national license, but um, 
you know, that's just all government bureaucratic yeah. stuff that gets in the way there, I think. so. I'd love for them to have a little bit more of an open range on animals that we can have in the pet shops because, you know, as a pet shop, we're licensed to sell reptiles. Like you can't just be any old pet shop and have a bunch of lizards there for sale or anything like that and we have to get vetted and go through this kind of grueling process and pay the fees and all the rest of it. But it would be nice to have some more basic species added to that sort of pet shop license because we're limited to I think it's 15 species and most of those are snakes but as far as lizards go we can essentially sell two different varieties of bearded dragons common eastern blue tongues and two gecko species being the uh, underwater saurus milli and nephris levis levis but it'd be cool to be able to kind of have some of those like more basic dwarf monitors and a few other kind of maybe varieties of blue tongues or something added to that and you, you know, it is what it is. It's not going to change anytime soon because we're all in the dark ages in that sense. Yeah, but even the old pelipythons as well. Like we can't keep our pelipythons in New South Wales mm. when, you know, they have a lot of people are starting to have some success with them and I think they can keep them in South Australia, Queensland South Australia and, and Northern Queensland. Territory. Yeah. So. It's, it's so different. For, as we had a conversation before, but it's so different, you know, in Europe or even in the, in the UK if you have a pet shop license, you can have anything. You can have a King Cobra. You don't have to do any test for it or anything like that. Yeah. You don't have you don't have to have a DWA license. Uh, if you've got a pet shop license, it supersedes a DWA license. So you can literally open a pet shop with no training or experience, just Acme Pet Shop. One day, get your pet shop license, which you don't have to do a test for, and then oh, I'm going to have a crop monitor today. Yeah. Never having worked with one before, I'm going to have a you know I'm going to have a king cobra. I'm, I'm you know, it, it's so weird. And you, you can keep anything in the UK if it's non-venomous. You don't need any training to yeah. keep anything in the UK. Yeah, you can you can literally buy anything at a show and just take it home. Yeah, I'm not too sure about venomous in other states, but we've got like a, a level license, so different species are on different levels. So you got to basically work your way up the licensing system to get to the top level, which is like your brown snakes, taipans, death adders. I think your R3 is like your red bellies and a few other things like that, and then it's four. Then I think it's fifth the last one, I think, isn't it, Luke? Mm. Yeah. But you've got to have like experience and have like references and everything like that. So I think that's a pretty good system, although maybe some hey, the venomous thing different, but even in the UK, you to keep venomous, you have to have a what we call a DWA license, dangerous wild yeah. animals license. But there's no formal training required for that. Yeah, you um, you have you have you're visited by the council to check that your building is secure and it meets the, the codes that they need. Um, but it's pretty basic. I mean, it must be a brick built building. It must have a double entry. Um, with, a, with glass doors, um, but there's no formal training. You literally, once you've got your license, you have to do bike pro. You have to have a bike protocol. You have to send off all your bike protocols for what you're going to keep. You have to register with a fire brigade and the police um, and get a, a letter of acceptance from your local hospital to say that they can treat you if you get bit or whatever. But as regards to the actual nuts and bolts of keeping, there's no tests. There's no training required. Once you've got your license. On day one, you can go and buy what you like. It's yeah, and in and in most most of Europe, you don't even need a license. Yeah, any literally anybody can have anything. It's it's really strange. Because I think you have to do a and, venomous handling course here as well, don't you? Yeah, it's some I sort think. of like basic mentorship, yeah. essentially. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, for, for the DWA in the UK, it's advised, but it's not mandatory. Hmm. You, you don't have to do it. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, at the European shows, as long as you're 18, you walk through the door and there is no requirement. They don't ask you anything. It's just cash changes hands and you could literally be 18 years old, never having handled a corn snake, and then you can buy a puff adder. A puff, a puff adder's a pence in Europe. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's weird. That, that is bizarre. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always liked the idea of getting some of our outer species. I think if I was going to get into venomous, that would be something that I'd be really interested in. But something that Matt Somerville said on one of his podcasts he did with us, I think it was on the venomous snake one, that really kind of made me second-guess myself with that is like, you know, but what happens when one day, you know, it gets a stuck eye cap or something like that and you have to remove it? And it's like, well, yeah, I kind of didn't think about that. You know, you're kind of thinking about just having a easy-going venomous snake in an enclosure that looks nice or whatever. But, yeah you're never going to really know how you're going to handle that sort of thing until you actually have to do it. And Yeah. I, I think the, the, the thing for me, which I notice is and one of the reasons for a smaller collection now, because I did I used to have a lot of venomous snakes is it's not like a normal collection where, Oh, I've got an hour. I'm going to quickly go in. I'm going to check the water bowls, clean the water bowls and leave. You can't, it's never quick. Yeah, you can't. You know, obviously, you're not going to just quickly slide open a door, put your hand in, grab a water bowl, <laughs> clean it, put more. You know, everything you do, you've got to have a little plan in place, and it takes so long, and you can't be just. If you're, you can't be in a mood not to do it as well. You can't. Yeah. You know, if I've just come off a night shift and I'm tired, I'm not going to go and do any more venomous stuff. Yeah. If I'm feeling like I've got a bit of a cold, I'm not going to do any venomous stuff. If I'm stressed for whatever reason, I'm not going to go and do any more venomous stuff. So a smaller collection, I think, helps with that. Um, yeah. Because, you know, at the height, when you're looking at, you know, 40 or 50 venomous snakes, that's a lot of time and work and, it, it yeah, it becomes almost a chore, not a, uh, not a joy anymore. Yeah. But that said, some of the venomous species are amazing. I mean, Australia, again, is spoilt for its, uh, its venomous stuff yeah. as well. Yeah, I would love to. I won't because I, you know where the collection's going. It's just going to be North American stuff and Australian geckos. But some of your venomous stuff, I could easily get into your death adders. Are fantastic. Yeah, some um, of those death adders are stunning. Oh, Scott sends me death adder porn on an almost daily basis. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's, he's got some cracking. There are some yeah. cracking species out there. But and even some of the brown snakes, snakes too. Yeah, your, your tigers and your brown snakes. Beautiful, beautiful things. Yeah. Okay. Really cool. The only thing you don't have it very many, you don't have many colubrids out there, do you? No. 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 Whereas cool. most things in Europe are colubrids. It's, it's yeah. weird, yeah. Yeah, America's you've got back night, to them as well. Yeah. You've got night tigers, though, which are yep. amazing. I, yeah. I, I just sold mine. I had um, – it used to be the same, but then they split them. So I had uh, Boiga flavicens. Which split up, which was split from uh, Irregularis, but um, they looked very, very similar. Beautiful, beautiful snakes. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, we're, I'd love to see those in the wild out there. Where we're hoping to in a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, are they in the arranged for when yeah. you do your trip? Oh, yeah, wicked! Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then can... we get the regular brown trees, the Irregularis, all around us. So, um, actually, one of oh, our okay. first nights herping together. When Jason came out, he got to see one of those for the yeah. first time. So that was pretty cool. Oh, it's wicked. That's that is yeah. cool. 
Is there many them for a while now? They're, they're a good little snake. Yeah, they're cool. Very is there cool. many Australian venomous in the hobby in Europe? Yeah, it's, um, they seem to be more easily available than anything else, to be honest. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> the, the death adders are super popular. Yep. Um, most of the species are available. They're not expensive at all. Um, I think, I mean, they're fa- fairly good breeders. I think that, that's one of the things that keeps the price down for those. Um the bigger elapids, you see them, but they're not super popular. Um, yep. they're not they're not so pretty. Um, but certainly, yeah, the death adders. There's there's a huge following for for that sort of thing over here. Yeah, because I don't really follow many like overseas. I, I want a few of the gecko stuff, but yeah, when it comes to elapids and stuff like that, I don't really see much of what's out there. There, there seems to be like distinct tribes, for want of a better word. Australian geckos are massive in Europe. Um, there's loads of you know forums and Facebook groups and yeah. you know there's a good network of breeders and that sort of thing. Um, the serious that sounds horrible. Not the serious people that are into the beardies and stuff like that. We can get a lot of different species of dragons in Europe, which is yeah. you know. Um, so there's quite a following for that. And then you've got like your, your forest dragons and stuff like that. There's quite a following for that as well. Blue tongue skinks are massive over here. Yeah. Um, massive in the spe- States too as well. Yeah. All species are available, like literally every location. Yeah. Um, I think, I think they were smuggled out in bulk yeah. during the, d- during the nineties. I think literally every location you can get, um, and the pink tongues and, and stuff like that. Um, Agurnia is very popular over here at the minute. Um, stupid prices, um, but uh, yeah, particularly like the Stoke signs and stuff like that. Um, you see those quite often at shows. Um, uh, as I say, the Death Adders and obviously your carpet. All, all the Australian pythons are huge over here. There's, there's a massive following for it. But the only thing we can't get is Owen Peliensis at the minute. Yeah, legally, um, le- legally, they're around, but legally, you can't get them. Yeah, but I think were they talking on NPR that they could possibly get out on like zoo permit type system? Yeah. I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so. But everything is everything is available in Europe if you've got cash. Literally everything. Yeah. It's that but, mad so. the the black hole that goes straight from here to Germany or something. It goes straight yeah. from yeah. It's, it's normally Germany stroke Czech Republic. Yeah, it goes in there and then it comes out legal. So yeah, um, yeah there's 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 some well known characters that back in the day used to just go over with empty suitcases and come back, and um, they all live in big houses now and uh, have fabulous <laughs> collections. Yeah. yeah. So so what got you drawn into keeping rattlesnakes? Yeah. Ah, uh, um, well, again, sorry to keep harping on about it. Because I'm so old, I um, I used to, you you won't understand this because you're quite millennial, but I used to read books, right, as a child instead of going on the internet. So, and one of the books, like, there wasn't a great deal of books on herps about at the time, but one of the books, well, I think it was a TH, was it TFH book? It had an atrox on the front and that image from you know as a child just 
oh, what is this? I need to research this. And I just really got into the rattlesnakes. And, you know, it's just the more research you do, they're fabulous to keep because it's one of the – I used to have a, a reasonable collection of uh, Trimericerus, Trimericerus, however you want to say it, the um, the green sort of tree vipers. But they don't do very much. They sit on a branch. They're sort of like a venomous equivalent of a green tree python. They just sit there. And they look fabulous, but they all pretty much look the same. You know, mm-hmm. one might have a bit of a red on its tail, one might have a bit of yellow on its head, but they all look fairly similar. But the rattlesnakes, they're so active. I mean, I can watch mine for, you know, they, they're they communal and, I don't know, it's just the history of them. It's just one of those. I, I find them fascinating. Um I would, if I had more space, try and keep every species of American rattlesnake. You can't do the Mexican stuff because there are too many. But for North America, you're looking at 35 species, give or take subspecies and things like that. And they're all all different and they're all um, – just their behaviour is so interesting. But uh, I think it's largely down to, you know, it's it's like anything – if the first girl that you snobbed at a school disco was blonde with big boobs, you kind of like girls with blonde with big boobs, don't you? And, you know, when I first started researching herb stuff, it was rattlesnakes. So it just really stuck. I don't know why. Yeah, I think it's like drawing green tree pythons. Yeah, 100%. It, it, it was either a king cobra, which I love, but they're just I've – got, I've, got I've got a friend, Pete, that keeps king cobras. Fantastic, but he's got – the enclosure's the size of a room, and yeah. I don't have the luxury of, of having that. Um, it was either that or mangrove snakes on the cover of the book. Well, I keep mangroves because they're amazing. Um, or it was rattlesnakes. Those were the, the kind of things that you had. Or green tree pythons was the other thing that you had on the on the, on the the cover of the old publications or in the yeah. old magazines. I think you just, you're, it's kind of imprinted like when a bird hatches and the first thing it sees, you know, it's one of this those. Mum, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and to my shame, um, I had briefly uh, herped in America, but I didn't find any rattlesnakes the first time. So the first time I see a rattlesnake, and I know everyone else is going to be going, it, it's an atrox, we're not bothered. I am going to be giddy like a little schoolgirl. I will just lose my shit. You know, I feel like just... me with leaf tails or chameleon geckos. 100%, yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, I can go into my snake room and I can hear a, a, a rattlesnake rattle. That's that's grand, yeah. but it's not the same. Yeah, it's like the first first time I heard wolves in the wild. It sticks all the hairs on the back of your neck up. Yeah, you know? it, it's just different being actually in the environment and, and and seeing that. And same with like other Americans. Some of the America's got such iconic snakes that I really want to see, like copperheads. Mm-hmm. First time I see a copperhead will be amazing. They're just beautiful snakes. I quite like to get some copperheads, to be honest. They're they're reasonably easy to get hold of, but um, yeah, so many things to keep. It's terrible. But there's also some. That is the problem. There's also um, things like the lyre snakes, which I find really interesting. They're really really similar to the, like the small um, boiga, like convergent evolution type things. If you look at in the states, um, I'd love to find some of those. I think they're in the range of where we're going. And a, a colionics, the the little geckos that I keep, when I see one of those in the wild, and hopefully we will see them in Arizona, that'll be phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think like yourselves, when you go herping, I bet 
if you see a, a species that you keep, when you come back, you probably alter the viv that you're keeping it in because you've seen the habitat. You think, oh, I had an idea in my head, so you build your viv. But when you actually see it in the wild, you go, oh, actually, no, that's not quite how it was. And I think my stuff, how I keep my stuff will change quite a bit if I see them in the wild. I mean, Scott, Scott has been phenomenal for that for me because I have an idea in my head of what an Australian gecko should be the trouble yeah. is when you look in the guidebooks they tend to take the photograph on a, something that's photogenic not necessarily the habitat yeah so you get if you've not been there you get a false idea of what the environment is because mm. they want the beautiful shot for the book <clears throat> so they might pick it up and stick it on a branch when it's never been on a branch on its life yeah you know? so um you know, like I'll give you an example. Uh, the four-line snake in Europe, I found quite a few of them. Every time I found them, they've been on rubbish tips, you know, <laughs> literally uh, under rotting mattresses or, yeah. you know. But when you see them in a book, it's a beautiful scenery and, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure when I get out to the States and I start finding some some of the rattlesnakes, I, I will change how I keep stuff. But uh, yeah. super excited to get out there. You might have to lay down some tin in your enclosures or something. Garbage. Yeah. <laughs> put, put an old tire in there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the tin. other thing. I mean, yeah, I've herped for three decades now. Not once have I ever found a snake in a skull. And yet, <laughs> you see, people set up their corn snake or whatever, and they've got a skull in there. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, good old Exoterra, hey? Or a Jack Daniel yeah. bottle. Jack, 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So well, I think I heard you say before that you actually are housing them communally as well, your rattlesnakes. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I think they – touch wood, and I, I suppose I've got friends that have got massive um, collections of rattlesnakes and most people tend to do the same. Hmm. Um, I mean, they are fairly communal in the wild anyway. It's 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 one of those species where when you're herping, if, if you find one, you, you tend to find – a few, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, touch wood, I, I haven't had a problem with it so far. So uh, um, the only problem I've I, – I used to keep um, some of the, the trims together, and I did have uh, Trimiceros trigonocephalus, the big Sri Lankan um, tree viper. I had a beautiful female uh, decide, even though she was regularly fed, that she was going to eat the male, which was an expensive pain in the ass. Um, but that's, that's the only – problem i've had most most of the the venomous stuff um if it's not a safety implication i.e they're fairly small and handleable um i'll keep them together some of the when i've had some of the bigger venomous stuff no i've kept it singularly so that it's it's easy to interact with um but for the small stuff i tend to keep the uh etheris singularly um because i've also had uh, a female uh clarecus eat a male before um, so I tend to keep them singular and yeah, another expensive day out. Um, but yeah, the rattlesnakes seem to do fine together. And when you set up these vivariums, are you doing it in kind of like a naturalistic setup or is it just they are in a vivarium and kept a bit more sterile? Um, it's not as naturalistic as I would do for say like the cave geckos or something like that where um, – the, the cave gecko viv if i actually see the cave geckos it's like a lottery win because it's you know they've got a lot of room and they've got a lot of 
you know, leaf litter and plants and stuff like that. So if they don't want to be seen, they won't be seen. Yeah. Now, obviously, because it's venomous, I can't set up anything that is going to um, affect how that I can hook something out or um, line of sight and that sort of thing. But it's as naturalistic as I can be, but still functional for venomous handling. Um, I, I don't do bioactive for the venomous stuff. Yeah. Um it, it's uh, it, so it'll be like for, for example for the um, for the Barbarai, it's um, orchid bark, and they've got some actual fairly large uh, logs in there. They're, I use plastic plants for the venomous stuff as well, um, which I don't normally do, but I've got plastic stuff for them. Um, so it's it's simple but natural, if that makes sense. There's yeah, there's yeah. room to maneuver. There's room to maneuver hooks in there and, and that sort of thing. Um, and again, particularly with rattlesnakes, definitely UVA, UVB, full spectrum light, and uh, deep heat projectors. And they will literally, before they're on timers, obviously, and when before the deep heat projector comes on, before the UVA comes on, they will come out of their hides and they will go and sit underneath because they know that that's going to come on. It, you know, it's, it's great to see that that they're getting comfortable and habitualized to that particular viv. Have cool. you got a favourite brand of your your UV and your deep heat projectors? Yeah, I I, I use Arcadia for everything. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I, I like them. I think the Arcadia I use for the UVB. I use the Pro T5 kits. I presume they're available. You can get them where you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like those because they they all link together. So if you've got a stack, rather than having loads of plugs, you can yeah. just um, like basically chain them all together and have one plug. I think the, the, the build quality and just the ease is really, really good with those. Um, the UVB, sorry, the UVA, I'm using the Arcadia uh, UVA projector, the, the weird bulbs that they have, and the deep heat projectors are Arcadia as well. Yeah. I mean, there are other brands available in the UK. I just, I, I think Arcadia stuff just seems to work mm. really, really well. Um, the... Full spectrum light, I use the um, cannabis grow lights for, um, which make the plants go crazy in most of the vivs, um, and they don't give off too much heat either. So I tend yeah. to use those. I think full spectrum makes a massive difference as well. Not, yeah. You know, if you're doing naturalistic vivs, it's essential anyway. But just for the the well being and the, the visual impacts, like for example, my. Um, Timon Lepidus, the oscillated lizards, they literally, they pop under the full spectrum light. They look incredible. It's absolutely, it's you know, it's as close as you're going to get to having them out in the garden. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, God knows what would happen if somebody flew over the top of my house with a, they think I had a cannabis factory going <laughs> on, I'm sure. Because um, the, the, the heat signature must be phenomenal. But, um, yeah, full spectrum lights, um, there's not one brand I would use particularly, but they do like a standard. They are for cannabis production. There's no two ways about it. They're about probably a uh, foot by six inches wide, um, and they just suspend very close to the top of the viv. Yeah. yeah right. um, but, have you played around with any sort of like automation or anything in your room? Um, not as much as you guys do with your um, – What's the company that you, the products that you, what are they called? Green? Uh, Green Connect. 
Yeah, not not to that extent. Um, I'm old school. I've tried. I have used a lot of the um, the computer stuff. I don't like it so much. I drive a Land Rover. That will tell you. I like old school and solid in so much as that I like habistats. So I will. I do like to physically go in and turn the stats on in the morning. Or my missus will do that purely because. Um, friends of mine that have been in the hobby for years, as in traders, retailers like yourself, they say like the Habistat dial, they sell thousands of them. They never have any complaints. They never have any accidents with them. They never have any brought back. Whereas some of the newer ones, and I've used the newer ones, they have a lot brought back. They have a lot of potential heat spikes and things like that. So I tend to do that. Obviously, all the lights are on timers um, so the UV, like yourselves, um, the snake building has got a big window in it, so it gets a natural dawn. And then the lights will come on about half an hour after a natural dawn. And then the UV will come on about an hour after that for two hours and then go off. Yeah. And then in the afternoon, it will come on again for two hours. And then the lights will go off, hopefully just before sundown. So that that is all on on timers, but as far as the stats, um, I like to turn them on and off by hand. So with your light timers, do you go through your season and kind of just adjust them as needed as to the light spectrum? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So obviously, with the UK, we're kind of back to front for a lot of species in terms of like Australian species and that lot. So unfortunately, it's the only way to do it is to get them to acclimatise to the UK. So it'll yeah. take a while, but it doesn't. it's kind of counterintuitive to try and force a, a light cycle when the natural light cycle is, is easier to sort of acclimatise them to, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, of course. I was just thinking if there's like some sort of way, because you know how you get those like windowsill, um, like, like a light reader that essentially you can kind of just pop on your windowsill and have things turn on and off as per the light yeah. reading on there. Like maybe that would be super yeah. easy for you for your, your lights. That's a good not, shout. Ne- not necessarily your yeah. thermostats because you can still do that yeah. manually or whatever, but then at least you're yeah. one less thing that's to good, think about. That's a, that's, that is a good shout. But um, I think it also encourages me to go out check there. everything, go out there and check everything every day, first thing before I go to work and um, – at night, if me and my missus, you know, we'll just have a good look around just to make sure everything's looking as it should do. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, again, I've got lots of mates that everything is completely automated. It's just what you prefer. I don't yeah, think any, one is any, any better than the other, particularly. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does your wife enjoy it, especially with all the venomous snakes there? Uh, she doesn't. Um <laughs> She, to be fair, she's uh, she she's got an office in the house, and she's got Cresties in the office. She loves yep. geckos, which is kind of why I'm getting away with spending so much money on geckos. <laughs> <she> actually, <laughs> she actually likes geckos. Um, she's not keen on snakes. Yeah, she has before. Um, bless her. She's tiny, and uh, she's about five foot tall and about eight stone. And she has walked in the snake room while I've been working away to turn the lights off. And um, a couple of the big snakes have got out. And, you know, there's nothing she can do about that. You know, the Apodora, some of my Apodora, like, as I say, 12 and 13 foot. You know, I struggle with those. She wouldn't. But she, she's been out there and there's been mangroves that have 
pushed the glass open and got out before. And she, she, she phones me up. This is out. I say, what colour is it? And she, as she said, it's uh, it's black with yellow stripes. Yeah, just leave it alone. Just lock the door, and I'll deal with it when I uh, when I get in. But no, she's she's pretty good. She's pretty good. She loves feeding the geckos. She yeah. won't feed any of the snakes or anything like that. But, yeah, so. I'm, I'm trying to like get my wife a bit more cued in with um, feeding a few of the animals here and stuff for when we go away. Because usually the last place that I was living, her dad would give me a hand and and feed everything for me. But um, yeah, she was quite happily going around and tongue feeding all the goannas and stuff the other day which I was oh, actually quite surprised about so that's wicked that's useful yeah yeah see that is the that's the other thing that's massive absolutely massive in the UK at the moment is dwarf monitors it's yeah. just so on point at the moment it's everybody's after them and the range of species we, we can get for those is astonishing really I we're, mean we're, we're pretty good here with the range of species it's just trying to get them yeah. That's the biggest thing is there's so many of them are monitor guys, like a lot of people, you know, they've got these little niches where they kind of get into it and you know, people are just talking and trading amongst themselves where nothing really kind of comes up. So unless you're talking in the right circles, you never see anything kind of come up. Uh, as I say, they're all, you know, most of the tree monitors are easily accessible, you know, no problem at all. Um even some of what I would consider some of the rarer dwarf monitors like Primordius and things like that are, are, are quite accessible. Um, but, yeah, your Kimberleys and stuff like that, you, you see them at every show. It's, 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 it's super expensive. I'm, I'm just thinking of some <clears> of the species because um, what, what's the ones you keep, remind me? Oh, I've got Gillen Gil and I. I've got a lot of Gillen and yeah. I and then I've got Tristus and I've got one Kimberly and I've got a Mangrove monitor. Okay, yeah, because the, the Gil and I are reasonably easy to get here. Um, Store eyes reasonably, reasonably easy to get. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird considering how not, I mean, you know, how rare they are in the wild that they're, that they're you know that they're over here in such large numbers. But it's definitely on trend. It's definitely. I think one of the bigger UK sort of groups of people are the monitor keepers, the, yeah. the Australian dwarf monitor keepers at the minute. They're one species that I did go looking for and didn't find, but even though I didn't find them, I'm going to be changing up some things here to kind of replicate some nice vivariums after seeing yeah, cool. the habitat that they were in. And, and yeah, I'm definitely going to try to change things up for those, which I'm excited about doing. But, man, I love those little monitors. I think you've owned one of those as well, haven't you, Jase? Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I always I mean, get attracted to them. Like I went to my mate's place, uh, Cooper, not too long ago, and he's got pretty much every blue tongue under the sun and, you know, all these other cool animals. And the one little Gillens monitor that I sold him, I was just like at the box, like looking at it. <laughs> and I was like, this is what I came to see, you know, and he's just like, yeah, I've got so much other stuff. <laughs> no, it's, you, you're into what you're into. It's just yeah. it's weird. I mean, Eric's murder, he just keep sending monitor pictures to me now what you know he's i can see him fitting out his carpet collection and keeping mostly monitors yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's strange how people evolve through the hobby it's good i like it i just find them so interactive they are like, yeah yeah and, they're very yeah. On. and the way they look at yeah. you 
when you walk in the room. Yeah. That's what I loved about it. Like they'd always it'd be like they'd be, Oh, what are you doing in here today? Like are you feeding me? Are you cleaning? Are you just here to have a look? Like Yeah. They look at your hands, they look at your face, yeah. they look what's in your hands, you know, like yeah. they're smart like that. They yeah, yeah. They're, they're 100%. Cluing, cluing you in. You know, if I pull out the pink tongs in the, the other bedroom with Loki there, she pretty much just charges at the door, you know, mouth open. And I'm like, I haven't even got anything in your in your tongs yet, but she knows that that's her cue that she's getting a feed. That's yeah, that's good. That's I, I, I can see the appeal. It's just one of those you can't keep everything. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, th- there are a lot of money over here. So uh, but, out of uh, interest, do you know what Gil and I go for over there? Uh, I do know around about because I've got have got a friend, a good friend Lee that has got a phenomenal collection of monitors. He breeds loads, like he's, he has all the tree monitors, um, and the majority of the, the smaller Australian monitors as well. Um, they go for about six hundred pounds, not euros, so about six hundred pounds each. Yeah, okay, so yeah, still pretty expensive. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Like to put it in perspective, when I got into them, they were, I think I paid for my original ones two hundred dollars for one and two hundred fifty dollars for another one, and even now they're about six hundred bucks Australian here yeah. each now. Okay. So they've they've gone up. Popular popularity, I suppose, has driven up the price. But yeah, yeah, they're one of those ones that I, I keep talking about it. But I get asked so many times. Have you got any for sale or whatever? Like, I probably like think last week I got asked at least ten times if I had any available. Really? And I'll get guys from the US and the UK and stuff helping me sex animals from photos and that. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how I've got this name for myself, but I've seemed to be the the Gil, the Gil and I guy. So yeah, it's um, that's good. I do. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, they're, they're an interesting little monitor to me. They're definitely my cup of tea. Yeah. But if I can afford monitors, I can afford. Chameleon geckos. Uh, I'd rather have chameleon <laughs> geckos. Yeah, less geckos. food at least. Less food. Yeah. Less heat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the other thing. You can't keep some of the species. Like if you're keeping monitors, it's difficult to keep something that needs to be kept cooler as well. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can afford chameleon geckos, I can afford willardi, and I'd have willardi all day long. So. <laughs> So um, you kind of just bringing it back to rattlesnakes quickly. Do you have um, like any sort of like favourite behaviours or anything that you see amongst the group, or any favourite species between them? Oh, favourite species! I could keep you going all day. Um, <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt, my favourite rattlesnake species is the willardi. It's the uh, the ridge nosed rattlesnake. Yeah. Um, it's just a beautiful looking thing. Um, and when you consider sort of like where it lives, you know, high altitude species, long winter dormancy, um, limited, you know, food and stuff like that, I just think it's incredible. Um, rare in the hobby. I mean, you can get them, but they're rare in the, they're rare in the hobby. It's not a commonly kept um, snake and it's not yeah. an easily bred, bred snake either. Um, I do the, uh, the Venomous Exchange radio podcast and we've just had um, – Cloud King on Kyle, and he's got an amazing collection of rattlesnakes. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, and he's doing really, really well breeding them at the minute. But uh, yeah, that's definitely something. It's my number one species to see in America in the wild, and it's probably my number one species I want to keep of anything um, for myself. Uh, the Serastes Cer- is high on the list of to see in the wild and to keep. Um, hopefully, I'm, I've got some on, some of those in the pipeline. 
which is a sidewinder. Um, there's three subspecies of those, and they're all super cute. They're, I mean, they you know they max out at about two feet, but they're just so iconic with the little sort of eye horns and their sideways movement up the dunes and stuff like that. Phenomenal. Um, I really, really like pricey eye, uh, which I think to memory is the smallest rattlesnake. Um, again, super high altitude rattlesnake. Um, but it, I, I don't know why I really like small stuff. I, I really like the, like the, 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 the dwarf stuff. Yep. And, um, yeah. So, uh, I'd like to get some pricey eye there. They're available in Europe, but they are expensive. They're, they're about a grand each. Um, wow. And then you've got the bigger stuff. You've got like the black tails, like Cerberus and stuff like that, which are stunning, like a, a golden-bodied snake with a really jet black tail or an all-black snake. Um, superb. But not that I don't like them. The only ones that I have no real interest in keeping particularly are the Eastern Diamondback and the Western Diamondback, which you think would be the ones that everybody wants to keep because of the size. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, you're, you're talking a, a really large snake, and I don't think I – I know how people keep them. I don't think I can keep them how I would like to keep them, so I won't yep. have them. If I was going to keep um, Aatrox, I would want a 10-foot Viv to yeah. really do it properly. And I don't. I just don't have the space for that. You know, my bigger Vivs have got the Apodora in. I can't, I can't you know, I don't have the space to, to do that properly. So I wouldn't want to keep them not how I think they should be kept, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd l- love to see them in the wild. Absolutely love to see them in the wild. Um, and then you've got the, I mean, like the the Owen Pelly of the, the rattlesnake world. I'd love to see the long-tailed rattlesnake in Mexico. Unfortunately, where you find it is not the easiest or safest place to hurt. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be a white bloke with a really expensive camera looking like you're a member of the CIA or something like that, looking at narcos in that sort of area. So, uh, yeah, you'll end up in an orange jumpsuit nailed to a post somewhere. So um, it's a difficult place to hurt where you find them because it's also massive for coke productions and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. I'm not expecting to see those in the wild anytime soon, but I'd love to have some of them. They are. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they've been smuggled into Europe. I mean, everything else has, but um, you just you just don't see them. Yeah. Do you, do you notice any sort of like interesting behaviours about some of the dwarf stuff that you do keep? Like any sort of kind of quirkiness to them? I love the habitualness of them. I love the fact that they um, have a real routine. Yeah. Um, in terms of, and uh, you know, a lot of snakes will do this. I mean, you see it itself, but it's, I think it's really, really accentuated in the some of the small rattlesnakes in terms of they know where their basking spots are. They will come out to those barking, basking spots at any one particular time. And by and large, when you've kept a particular snake for a long time, at any time of day, you can almost tell where it's going to be in the viv. I really like that. I think that's quite good. And I like the fact that they are quite social in nature, that you don't see any aggression between them, even at feeding times. I mean, I, I do separate to feed, but you just don't see any food aggression between them or anything like that. They're really, really chilled species. They're not – like when I've, I've kept um, I've kept uh, Aspidelaps and the Trimerosaurus and stuff like that, and they're really – you know, at feeding times, they're really lively – hooking them they can be really lively and stuff like that the rattlesnakes are really docile by and large they they're not bluff striking or anything like that they'll just 
kind of look at you. They might rattle their tail. That's about as far as it goes. They're really docile, easy to keep species, and they're really yeah. hardy. Yeah. But I do think I do think particularly with rattlesnakes, you need to get the cage parameters right. They will live forever in really bad conditions. But I think if you get the conditions right, they really thrive, and you can you can see that. So, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Here. Um, when you do separate to feed them, are you just pulling them out and putting them into a kind of like separate containers or something? Let them yeah. eat, and then pop them back in yeah. the enclosure. Exactly that. Yeah. 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 Are you breeding them as well? Uh, I have bred them. Yeah. Um, the babies, um, so I bred, uh, the season just gone, I bred um, Cistrurus miliaris barbary. Um, the babies are minute, yep. absolutely, are honestly just, I would say, four inches, five inches long. Wow. And thinner than a pencil, they are literally minute. Look exactly like the adults, which is nice. The colours are fantastic, but they're, they're minute. Um, I'm quite lucky uh, in my snake building, or as it is now, snake slash gecko building, um, I've got five species of gecko living wild in there. Yep. Some, wow. Some, some intentionally, some not intentionally. Like some morning geckos have escaped and they just breed like nobody's business, but I, I released, so I've got uh, some hemi- European hemidactylus in there. I've got some house geckos uh, and I've got Moorish geckos that just live. Oh, I've got a couple of golden geckos, which just escaped. So there's a lot of geckos that live wild in there and I will find a lot of baby geckos when I'm moving equipment or I'm moving a viv or something like that. It's not uncommon to find hatchling house geckos and things like that all over the place. So, that was ideal for the baby rattlesnakes, um, the, the tiny little house geckos, to which is kind feeding. of what they eat to get them feeding. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, if you're going to look at assist feeding, even a pinky head would be big, you know. Wow. So um, you'd, you'd need to cut off a pinky leg or something like that. They're, they're so small. And it's never great to assist feed a venomous snake, even something yep. of that, that that size. So, um, yeah. So the live gecko seems to be the way to go for those. Jeez. <laughs> Tough to get them going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 you know, but they are hardy little things. You think yeah. the conditions they live in the wild. Yes, yeah, true. And, um, I think the mistake oftentimes in captivity, when you see some of the smaller um, rattlesnakes, some of the, like the pygmy rattlesnakes, they're like two foot long, but they shouldn't be. If you look at, I mean, I, I speak to Phil Wolf almost daily, and he herps Florida because he's from Florida, and he sees pygmy rattlesnakes every time he goes out. And the average size for an adult breeding pygmy rattlesnake is under a foot. But in captivity, you're looking at two foot because people are overfeeding them. They're power feeding them and stuff yeah. like that. So I, I do try to keep mine on a realistic diet. So I try to keep them, you know, around a foot, just over a foot for the Barbary. For the Streckery, they're kind of they're slightly bigger. But, yeah. Such a handy little size snake. It's, it's, honestly, it's perfect. They sit out on bar school day. They are not cage aggressive. They're social. They're fabulous colours, you know, that you can't fault it. If you want to get into a venomous, they are absolutely perfect. Yeah. 
What what's the anti venom supply like over there for these sorts of animals that you're keeping? There is none. Um, so in in the UK, it's in the states you have quite a good supply of crowfab, which is like the standard um, rattlesnake um, anti venom. In the UK, to get anti venom is if you can get it, it's ridiculous. You know, it's prohibitively expensive. Yeah. Um, but actually physically getting it is almost impossible. So that has always tempered what I will keep, and that is why I've never kept the big bitters. I, I, you know, I love rhino vipers and stuff like that, but I've got to be realistic. If I was to take a bite from a rhino viper, I've got to go to hospital. My local hospital has then got to go to send somebody to a London hospital uh, to get, the particular antivenom and bring it back and then start using it. It's a massive time delay. So it's not something that I would want to keep something that there was a need for an anti, a, a, a serious antivenom for. It's why, I mean, one of my favorite venomous snakes to keep um, would be the Komodo Island Trimerosaurus. The, uh, I don't know if you've seen them, the blue insularis. Yeah, from it's like it's a, it's a bright blue tree viper. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, a Disney viper. You know, it's just amazing. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are super toxic. Their LG fifty is just huge. Um, I've got to be sensible. Yeah, hopefully, I'm never going to get bit. You know, if I do everything right, but you can never hundred percent say never. Um, so I wouldn't take the risk of keeping something that required immediate serious anti-venom like a king cobra like a coral snake um you know like some of the bigger um macroviparas or something like that i wouldn't keep so all the stuff i've kept or i keep yes if i get bit it's going to be a rubbish day out but touch wood i mean obviously i have EpiPens and and and, and bite protocols but touch wood it shouldn't be fatal yeah yeah I guess that's where we're kind of lucky with what they can keep here on the venomous licenses is generally anti-venoms available. So, Yeah, but you, you've yeah. got to think, I, mm-hmm. I live in a country where we have one venomous snake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that the venom from that snake is fairly, not totally harmless, but it's fairly low dose. Yeah. Whereas, you know, yourselves and people in America are living in, in countries that have hugely... I mean, Australia, with your taipans, you don't get more venomous, really. Yeah. Um, and, and the US with the atrox, um, you know, and the coral snakes, you've got some serious venomous stuff there. So there is much more access to anti-venom there than there is in the European countries. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I know loads of uh, English and European keepers and nobody keeps anti-venom. So... Um, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just a different style. Yeah. I mean, if it's not as available, like, you know, we've got the Australian Reptile Park only, what, 20 minutes from you, Jason, who's yeah. got like, one of the biggest milking factories in in the country, yeah. you know, so it's 100%. it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in contact with these things or people uncover them, you know, easy enough yeah. that they need the, the anti-venom. Yeah. 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 Well, to kind of just switch up topics a little bit. So, obviously, being an avid field herper yourself, can you kind of give us a few tips on some maybe some good gear to take away with us to to Kakadu when we head up that way? I can. Do you know what my number one piece of kit, particularly for where you're going, that I would take? Baby wipes. Baby wipes. 
for two reasons. Number one, it's hard to keep yourself clean when you're out in places and it, you know, it's very useful. But I guarantee you, you will find the best snake that you've ever seen and you'll pose it to photograph it and it will have musked or it will have some shit <laughs> on it or something like that and you will start getting flies landing in your pictures. I've had it so many times. So if you are going to take some decent pictures with a posed animal as opposed to in situ, you can clean it with a baby wipe and the flies don't go on it. There you go. Was not expecting that. (laughs) (laughs) I've got heaps of them Um, on hand, so. (laughs) You always need a baby baby wipe. Um, Decent head torch, and I'm not teaching to suck eggs. Oh, there we are. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's already packed. It's sorted. Um, Done. Yeah. Head torches, decent head torch and spare head torch is the thing. Uh, And there's so many great head torches available at the moment. I mean, yeah. I, I also use, and I, I mean, you obviously do a lot of photography yourselves. I use also have two standalone, like, I don't know what you call them. They're outdoor sort of inspection lights almost. So they're about six inches by four inches. And if you're going to take night photography, you can just pose, put those a couple of feet away on either side and it just really enhances the light. And they're quite light to carry around. They're rechargeable. You can charge them in the car while you're driving along. Uh, decent first aid kit is the other thing, and I mean a decent first aid kit. I don't mean one of these ones that you'll, you you just bought in the supermarket. I mean put together a decent first aid kit. Have super glue in there. Have compression bandages in there. Have tick remover in there. You know that that sort of that sort of thing. Uh, what else? Lens caps for your camera. I must lose about 30 lens caps a year field herping. <laughs> Honestly, if people go into the same spots after me, they must clean up with lens caps because I literally, I don't know how I just lose so many of them. So, yeah, spare lens caps because um, I was herping in Israel and it just destroys camera equipment out there. It just eats it. The sand yeah, just gets it terrible absolutely terrible i ended up throwing one lens away after i come back from one of the trips to israel it's just that's harsh so yeah uh what else yeah i think i think that's that's it really the most important thing for a field herping trip 100 is make sure you know who you're going with and that you get on with them because i have done trips with people that i didn't know and they never go as well as someone you're used to field herping with because you are going to be tired you are going to be cold wet hungry and grumpy as fuck so you need somebody that you can have bants with and just chill with otherwise you'll end up killing each other after a week (laughs) it'll be an interesting ride for us because we've not all gone herping together we all know each other yeah, Jason and I have gone for like little local herbs, so it'll be interesting to see when we're all at our kind of wits end or whatever after a bit yeah, yeah. to see how yeah. fresh it goes. On your on your third day of having nothing to eat but bags of crisps and a Mars bar and, uh, yeah, you've not slept and that's when it starts to – you need decent people to be herping with. That is, that's the difference. I did a big uh, – quite a big trip. Um, we went from Italy – uh, so we and then we drove into Slovenia and down that way. So we went through Croatia, Bosnia, and into um, Montenegro and Macedonia. Yeah. So a really long road trip. And um, 
I went with a group of really good friends, but we also had a group of students with us, um, which is good in some ways because there's more eyes on the ground. Uh, these were sort of um, midway through their degree, so I suppose they were in their 20s sort of thing. Great to have all the different eyes on the ground, but when I go herping, I go herping. I don't whinge about getting up early. I don't whinge about having lack of sleep. I don't whinge because I haven't had hot food. And, yeah, towards the end of that trip, it, it was getting quite strained. So, and then I've had other trips, you know, I, I go herping with one of my great mates, Trev, and we've literally, our uh, one but last Spanish trip, we was up in the mountains in Spain, and it was too much of an embuggerance to drive down out of the mountains, and there's very little restaurants open at that time of year. and think, So for three days, we didn't really eat. We just lived off stuff that we bought prior to the trip in a garage and we were moany as fuck but we just got on it was just mm. you know you just got to choose who you uh, who you hurt with it's really important it can you know you could be seeing the best animals in the world but if the company's not great it's not a great trip and likewise you cannot find anything but if the company's good it can be you know a, a really a memorable trip. trip so yeah so that's the most important thing I think yeah, yeah. I'm pretty easy going so <laughs> I think that's the benefit to most Australians, mate. Is yeah. reasonably relaxed. I, I think our biggest struggle is going to be a going up there smack bang into the humidity and the heat. Yep. Um, yeah. And then B, Luke, the guy that's actually uh, driving us around and essentially up there. He's the one that lives up there. He's um. <clears throat> I think from what I've heard, he's a bit of a ball buster as far as herping goes. He's pretty gun ho. So, um, 100%. you know, yeah, it'll be. Uh, I, I want that, but at the same time, you know, it's going to be a struggle. Oh, you get, in the heat you get all the sleep you need when you're dead, you know. Oh, I agree 100%. Yeah, I didn't you sleep know, at you, all you, when I went to Alice. That's grand. You know, you can you can sleep when you get home. You, you yeah, know, exactly. Every moment, every you know, every moment you're not herping is wasted when you're away on a trip. Yeah, I'm with you. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, equipment-wise, a robust camera. I switched from Canon to Nikon, and I don't think – in terms of photographic quality, I don't think there's any difference between the two whatsoever. I think all the lenses are splendid for both of them. I just found personally that Nikon seemed to be more robust in the field, personally. But that's just my – I mean, you know, you've got other people might – say completely different i mean frank travels around the world there we are good lad uh, <laughs> frank travels around the world taking you know the, the most amazing photographs and he uses canon so yeah you know and he goes to places that i've never you know can't even spell so it's just a personal thing i think but i've i found nikon to be really robust yeah i've got uh, nikon as well yeah and i can be clumsy i do drop my camera a lot and fall ass over it a lot and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Well, that said, I do end up that just in a backpack or something like that. I don't even put it in a case or whatever. You know, it's just yeah, hundred percent. Like um, but yeah, I'm jealous that you're going. That's good. I'm keen. <laughs> Stinging yeah. for it, Jason. Stinging, Stinging for it. Stinging, Stinging for it. As you're saying. Froth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, should be good. We've uh, just got the all clear to say that we don't even need look because they uh, they had rules there where basically you had to do a rapid antigen test on day 
day one, day three, and day six or something, and now they've just wiped it all off now. So they've just gone nuts, bugger it. You're all free. As long as you do the border entry form correctly, then you're... Oh, that's cool. You're good. Yeah. Yeah, A bit of pressure off. Yeah. That's ideal. I'd be interested to see... uh, I can't wait to see your photographs. Looking forward to it. I can't wait to get some. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm taking the camera with me, but I'm planning to do more filming and just do... uh, Okay. Just do some videos and stuff because I think all the other guys are pretty into their photography. So, you know, I'll make the movie that, that, pictures. Yeah, that is the not a problem. But when you're on a, a trip with I, – I tend to prefer trips when it's two people or something like that. When you go on a big trip, it is difficult when everybody's trying to get their award-winning photographs, you know. Yeah. That, that can cause a little bit of – I often just let everybody get their photographs – and then I'll come back to it later and, and, and try and get a photograph because otherwise it, you end up with half a dozen pictures with somebody's hand in or yeah. you can see, you can see an arse in the background or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, well, this has been a killer chat. Yeah. It's been yeah, a while since we've done one that's you. done two hours. So Yeah. Yeah, thank you for taking the time out of your day to, or your morning rather my, to yeah, come on. My pleasure. It's uh, absolutely freezing cold here today, so uh, it's been nice to be indoors. <laughs> it's nice and warm. It's so. about, is it? It's about five degrees here today, so Ooh. that's nice. Yeah. It's pretty cold for us here. It was about twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks for thanks for that. <laughs> for, well, for summer, that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty chilly. It was cold this summer, morning, but yeah, I had a jumper okay. on this morning. So did I. It was about sixteen, oh. I think. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, well, Nipper, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thanks, did you mate. did you want to throw out any sort of information if anybody wants to get in contact with you? Um, if anybody does want to get into contact with me, they can just get me on Instagram at Nipper Reed or uh, at herptwitcher.com. Um, we've just dropped the second episode, if I can just plug it, yeah, of yeah, uh, the uh, Venom Exchange Radio. Uh, that is with uh, Kyle, who you might know as Cloud King, talking about um, mountain rattlesnakes. He's got a phenomenal collection. Um, that's about it. Follow me on Instagram if you don't mind because I want to get as many followers as possible, so that would be great. But, uh, no, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been brilliant. Thanks for coming on. It was awesome. Just just to plug it a little bit further, you're also doing the Gecko podcast, are you not? Yeah, we've got yeah. that dropping shortly. We've um, myself, Eric, and Phil Wolf are doing a Gecko podcast, Gecko to Radio. That should drop uh, at the end of this month, hopefully. Um, plus we've got the field field herping podcast we've got new episodes of that coming out so uh, yeah lots happening I'm looking forward to all of those yeah actually. same especially the gecko one because we're yeah. obviously well, gecko nuts yeah take lots of notes when you're uh, on your herping trip because we want to get you on the field herping podcast so yeah. Uh, yeah. detailed notes yeah it'd be grand we will do um, I'm planning to take temp guns and all sorts of stuff oh. with me just to try to get some more info out there so yeah superb that'd be great it's, it's always interesting when you stick your temp gun on the road at like you know 10 o'clock at night in some of these places and you go geez the road's still like you know 38 degrees or something like that you know so it's incredible just yeah. simple stuff but you know yeah makes it all that more worthwhile to somebody else 100 oh cool all right, guys, we'd like to say a massive thank you to Eric and Owen and the rest of the MPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.com and email them at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Make sure to follow the MPR network on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all at the MPR network. 
As far as contacting us on our social media platforms, you can email us at theaustralianherptoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Make sure to check out our Teespring store for podcast merch. The link is on the Facebook page. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beach of Scaly Beasts. We hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. Good night, guys. Good night. Cheers. Cheers.